Good morning. Today is Friday, October 23rd, 2020. I mentioned earlier this week a practical application in Jewish law that comes from our Torah portion, the Parsha of Noah, and that is the bracha, the blessing that we recite when we see a rainbow, which comes from the narrative in this week's Parsha. There are at least two other important applications of Jewish law that come from our Parsha. Both of them deserve a full treatment, but I will just mention them very, very briefly now. The first is the concept, the structure, the system of Sheva Mitzvos B'nai Noach, the seven laws of Noah, the seven Noahide laws. So there is an expectation in the Torah that is clearly repeated throughout the Torah that God expects that the Jewish people will observe all of the commandments of the Torah, all Jews for all times, of course, to the best of our ability. There is also a second set of laws for all of mankind to follow, and they are the seven laws of Noah. Technically, it's not really correct, it's not really precise to use the term seven laws of Noah. They are rather categories, seven categories of laws, and they are as follows. Do not murder, do not steal, do not worship false gods, do not commit adultery, do not practice cruelty to animals, do not curse God, and set up a judicial system to have uh, justice and law in your society. Each one of those, of course, covers a lot of ground, but those are the seven categories. And according to Jewish law, Jewish law expects that this is a code of law that all of mankind should live by. The Talmud explains that there are actually a few more than seven. The Talmud adds on a couple of others. Uh, for example, honoring parents, um, having good personality traits like uh, showing gratitude, um, acting with kindness, and a couple of others that the Talmud uh, derives from various sources in the Torah. But here's what's really important. The Talmud says that any non-Jewish person who follows these laws, the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, the seven Noahide laws, any such person is considered in the category of Tzadike Umosa Olam, the righteous of the nations of the world, and receives a reward in the world to come. He is considered a Ben Olam Haba, a person who will be rewarded in the world to come. And what that means is it is not necessary to be Jewish in order to be righteous and in order to be rewarded by God and commended by God. And that is the basis of our attitude towards conversion because we don't advocate conversion to Judaism the way some other religions do because a person who comes to us and says, well, 
uh, I want to convert to Judaism because I want to be closer to God, we say to them, well, you don't have to convert to Judaism to be, to be close to God. If you live according to these seven Noahide laws, then you will be considered by God a tzaddik, a righteous person, and you will merit a share in the, in the world to come, just like a Jewish person. So there is no spiritual benefit to, tr to converting to Judaism. So therefore we say, well, why are you converting? That's why we question the motives of a person who wants to convert, because if they're doing it for a spiritual benefit, uh, there, there's no, there is no benefit. There's no reason for it. Now, the reason that these laws are called laws of Noah, they're associated with Noah, is because six of them, the Talmud says, were commanded to Adam. Adam received the first six, and the seventh, which is the prohibition against cruelty to animals, that was commanded to Noah in our Parsha. So we refer to this list as the seven laws of Noah because it was to Noah, to Noah, that the list was completed. So once we get to the time of Noah, the list is in its final form. There are groups, uh, individuals and groups all over the world who refer to themselves as Noahides and there are um, authorities in Noahide law that will answer questions based on this system for non-Jewish people who follow this system. And um, this is something that Judaism, that the Torah gives to the entire world. So that the Torah's laws, in one sense, in one path, relate specifically to the Jewish people, but the Torah also has a system that is completely universal, that relates to every single human being, and that comes from our parsha, Sheva Mitzvah Spidei Noach, the seven Noahide laws. That's number one. Number two is like this. The other consequence in Jewish law that comes from our portion is Mi Shapara which is, I'll translate that in a moment, but that is a rebuke or a criticism that is given in a Jewish court to a person who breaks their word. Now, this is somewhat of a technical subject, so to be able to find the exact case, the precise case where this will apply would take us a little bit afield, so I'm going to oversimplify just a little bit, but the idea is as follows. A person who makes a legal commitment, for example, a person who commits to buy something, or a person who commits to some other kind of transaction or business deal, and um, there was a, a, a firm commitment, there was a firm agreement, but the deal was not fully finalized, and at that point, the person backs out. So the court will address the following words to the person who reneged. And the words are, Mi shepara me'anshe mabul va'anshe doraflaga, the one who exacted punishment against the generation who were destroyed in the flood and the generation who were punished 
for building the Tower of Babel. That's the two narratives in our, the two main narratives in our parsha. So, meaning referring to God, the one who exacted judgment for the generation of the flood and the generation of the uh, Tower of Babel, who Yifrach Mizeh Shechazabitiburo, he will exact punishment against this one who has reneged on his word. So, it's not right if a person agreed to something verbally and then backed out of their agreement. It's not right. It may not be, <coughs> excuse me, it may not be actionable in a Jewish court to require paying the money because the actual transaction was not formally finalized, but there is a moral shortcoming, and it's a moral shortcoming that rises to the level of a legal act where the court will take this action and impose or apply this condemnation or this criticism. The one who exacted punishment against those people who were punished by the flood and those people who were punished for building the Tower of Babel will also exact punishment from one who reneges on their word. Now, so that is uh, another application in Jewish law that comes from our Parsha, two of the narratives in our Parsha. Now, a question to think about, and I'll leave this with you, so think about this over Shabbos when you're reading the Parsha or you're learning uh, the Parsha. So just to think about this question, and that is, I understand that it is wrong for a person to renege on their word. I understand that there is a situation where a Jewish court will criticize a person for not keeping their word, for backing out of a deal at the last moment. That part I understand. What is not immediately obvious is why it is in this context that we are invoking these two narratives. The sin of the people who were destroyed by the flood and the sin of the people who built the Tower of Babel, the Migdal Bavel. So this text mentioned by the court seems to imply that number one, it was the same sin, a common sin of those two groups. And number two, that the sin involved reneging on one's word, not upholding one's word. In both cases, in both narratives, I don't think it is immediately obvious that that was actually what the sin was. There is certainly no indication within the text of the Torah that the sin that caused God to bring the flood upon the world was the sin of reneging on one's word. And there is no clear indication in the Torah that the sin of the people who built the Tower of Babel was the sin of reneging on one's word. In fact, in that narrative, it's not at all clear from the text of the Torah what the sin was to begin with. So, uh, somehow, these two narratives are seen by the rabbis in the Talmud as involving this issue of not upholding one's word, and therefore these two events are invoked 
in this uh, context. So um, think about that over Shabbos. And if you come up with an answer that explains why it is these two narratives that is invoked in this legal context, I would be very interested to hear your answer. In any event, I wish you a great Shabbos. I hope you have a wonderful day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.